Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Sean Sieper. Sean is the director of the Indirect Center of Excellence at Retail Business Services, where his team supports a large grocery retail operation. So hi, Sean. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks, Kelly. Now, I teased you at grocery, which is wonderful because everybody has experience with grocery stores. Uh, but could you please share a little bit more detailed information about your background and professional experience? Absolutely. Yeah, I started actually after college in retail. So I worked in Hannaford Brothers, which is a supermarket in northern New England, and worked in the retail space for 10 years. Uh, the last five years, I was a retail store manager within the supermarket, had a great experience. And that's when I kind of developed my interest in supply chain. I went back to school to get my MBA part-time, and I landed a position after I graduated uh, within uh, our Delhi's America company, uh, supporting sourcing on our private brand side. And from there, I transitioned to the indirect side and have been there ever since. Interesting. And just for people who aren't grocery geeks like me and you, uh, private brand, private label, that's basically like store brand, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we would uh, work with our suppliers to source literally the canned vegetables on the shelf to the frozen veggies in the frozen aisle. And I also, um, at that job, also supported the logistics, uh, which was a really fun part um, of the job for me. And private brand, private label is actually really fun in general. I can remember um, I wasn't in that particular category team at the time, but I have really good memories of chicken nugget sourcing day. <laughs> and there was just trays and trays and trays of all these chicken nuggets. And it was, what do you think about this chicken nugget? How do they look? How do they taste? It is definitely one of those underreported perks that people in other industries might not appreciate. Exactly. And you don't even need to be in uh, private brand sourcing to take advantage of That's after right. those testing days. So my favorite was the chips category. I got to oh. source uh, the literally like the private brand potato chips. And um, we got to do, you know, all the different uh, textures of the chips and obviously the flavor profiles and uh, supported by a great bunch of uh, team members who specialize in the flavor profiles and all that uh, fun stuff within the food world. So now that everyone is completely jealous and realizes how much they've missed out by not being in grocery retail, especially having an office near the, the private label team, um, we're going to talk a little bit of procurement tech today. And this is something that retail business services, I happen to know you guys are in a really unique position to talk about this. It's that whole make versus buy decision. So we're used to discussing make versus buy decisions sort of in the larger context of the business, but very rarely so for procurement's own technology needs. Based on what you've learned in, in your time, when do you suggest that procurement teams actually consider looking into a make option for tech? 
So for me, I feel like it should be considered for all of your decisions on your IT roadmap for the sourcing and procurement space, just as if you're doing any sourcing event. Uh, right now, I'm in the indirect side, and we challenge our team to always think first with the make first buy. And I see that no different as myself and my team are thinking about our IT roadmap um, when it comes to our sourcing and uh, procurement technology. And if if that's even going to be a possibility, I have to think that going through that that mental process of approaching technology needs has sort of a corresponding impact from a talent perspective. Because if the make option is chosen, you have to have the people available that can help deliver on that. So what type of talent does your procurement team need, either on team or just in-house where you have access to be able to build your own tech solution? Great question. And certainly um, one of my functions, I help support a lot of our solutions within the sourcing and procurement side on the indirect space. And so the core talent that we're looking for has to have a data mindset. And from there, um, as we're thinking about the, you know, as the make side of our technology, you have to have associates and team members who are curious about solutions and systems and how they work together and have a basic understanding of computer um, software programming and such. They certainly are not software developers, but they have to have an understanding of what it goes into with computer language and what we want to tackle and certainly what we know that we can't tackle from a skill set standpoint. Now, then that raises the question, because we always think about, you know, the impact on cross-functional relationships, and, and those are really important to procurement, right? I'm glad to say we've made a lot of progress on that front. If you have this amazing skill set within procurement, what does that do to, or how does that affect your team's relationship with the IT department? I look at it as opening doors and building that relationship even stronger. So having a strong foundational understanding in any category, and so in this case, having a strong IT understanding just helps to build that relationship quicker and knowing what the limits are. And so both sides of the relationship have appreciation and have a foundational understanding of some of the key parts of building an in-house solution. Um, uh, So that's how I kind of look at it. So when we think about the business case that procurement has to make in order to design their own solution, there's going to be benefits like, okay, we don't have to pay someone else to create it and support it. We don't have to pay for licensing and access fees. But there are also, I'm sure, opportunity-oriented benefits and ROI that come out of that as well. So for instance, having a greater amount of control over how it works, or maybe having more control over the data that goes into a solution or the data that comes out on the other side. What sorts of options become available to procurement because you have more control over the system and how it's actually designed and works? Yeah, so I look at it as first the funding that you mentioned earlier in the question. Um, It provides you an opportunity to build and design without having a huge amount of funding needs that you have to secure and prove your ROI on. Um, And then secondly, that whole idea of the control you had mentioned, it just allows for greater flexibility down the road to be able to maneuver uh, different you know, case studies that you may be trying to provide value for. Um, And many times um, you may go down the road and realize it's not going to work. And that's okay because you haven't invested. Besides, obviously, time of uh, the team members, um, you you haven't outlaid 
funds for the third-party solution. So it, it allows you to be more nimble, in my opinion, um, particularly on those solutions that make sense to do in, you know, in in-house per se. Now, one of the things that, and I'm, I'm just sort of imagining here, because anytime I have a conversation with somebody who works in retail, I'll typically ask them questions about, you know, how does it change you as a shopper, knowing sort of what's going on behind the scenes? And I have to think there's sort of a similar dynamic here, where once you've been down the road of building your own, and there's, there's always more involved than it seems from the outside, do you feel like it has changed the way that you and your team have become consumers and users of systems built by other people? So I guess another way to look at it is, do you look at technology differently now that you've experienced what it's like to actually build and control something of your own? Absolutely. 100%. I think we have developed a stronger eye towards evaluating third-party solutions because we have dabbled into our own. And so we not we know what our limitations are, but we also are able to quickly recognize some of the limitations of some of the other third-party solutions and also the benefits, to be honest with you. Um, and so it allows us that ability to be better consumers of third-party solutions, to be honest, uh, which is obviously valuable for both us, but also for the supplier providing that service because uh, we're a knowledgeable customer and we're able to, um, I would like to think quickly um, onboard and implement the solution based on some of the experiences that we've had trying to do our own stuff. So clearly there are a number of upsides associated with this, but being realistic, it's, it's not just a make decision, right? It is make versus buy. And so I'm sure there are times where you start to go down this road and at some point the decision gets made for whatever reason. This is not the way to go. Uh, but I would like to know, if you're willing to share, have there been times where you've come up against an area that sort of was recognized as, okay, this is steering us away from make? You know, is there any part of building a solution that procurement shouldn't try and I think when, when we had talked about this previously, the thing that always comes to mind for me is uh, drywalling. You know, DIY is so popular yeah. now, but one of the things that I've heard, it's one thing to do, you know, basic electrical work or, you know, maybe a little bit of basic plumbing, but people generally will say, stay away from the drywalling and then what is it, skim coating that goes over on top. So there's probably some component to all this that really procurement should steer clear of. What kind of advice would you give around that? My advice is the idea of once you go down too far into the coding world, um, you really want to be careful of the sustainability as people on your team may leave to maintain that. Um, that would be my first recommendation. And I think this, the second recommendation regarding that is supplier-facing solutions. So uh, we try to steer away from solutions that would have a um, interaction with our supplier. So our focus is mainly on identifying make solutions that would just be an internal use case um, for our internal users, whether they be the indirect center of excellence or other users within our um, stakeholder groups. And that probably... I'm just guessing that probably sort of addresses what I have to think is a big concern always is cybersecurity, right? So if you're only intending for it to be used internally, you're not looking for suppliers to be inputting data into it. I have to think it simplifies that part of the process. Is that one of the considerations? 
Absolutely. I mean, cybersecurity, even with internal solutions, is uh, critical um, to understand. And that's where the partnership with our IT stakeholders um, is essential uh, because you're able to bounce off. This is what we've done. Take a look at it. Um, are we you know, on the right path? Are we be exposing ourselves to any risk that we shouldn't be exposing to? Um, so 100% absolutely. And um, you know, keeping it internal um, helps mitigate that, but it's also something you have to consider even when it's internal for the, the cyber side of it. Now, one of the questions, Sean, that I always ask everybody that joins me here on The Sourcing Hero is, and I'm going to give you a choice, so this is completely up to you. How would you define what it means to be a sourcing hero? Or your second option is, what do you think heroism looks like in a business context? Oh, great question. I'll go with the first one. Uh, so I would define a sourcing hero as someone who consistently strives to create value for their organization and isn't afraid to have bold ideas. Um, and I think foundationally isn't afraid to build their um, own development and take ownership of their development. Uh, so for example, whether it's be building their data um, mindset and their skill set on the data side, but also just as importantly, building their their toolkit on the interpersonal relationships, you know, project management skill sets, negotiation skill sets, always trying to develop yourself. That to me is what a sourcing hero is. Um, so you could always, um, you know, create value for the organization because that's what, for me, that's what I get great, great drive in. And that's how I would see a sourcing hero, whether it's in our team or externally within the industry. Now, for any of the folks that have listened in today that might either be interested on your input around the most desirable texture of a potato chip, or would like to maybe pick your brain a little bit around this whole experience around make versus buy, what is the best way for people to get in touch? Yeah, simply you could find me, Sean Sieber at LinkedIn. Excellent. Sean, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your point of view. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.